I miss Lauren Hill. I know. The best thing we got to Lauren Hill since she's been gone has been um what's her name out in Britain? Uh Joss Stone? No. No. No? No. Uh out of Britain? Yeah, what's her name? She's like, um, da 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 I never thought I'd find someone like you. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh man, I wish nothing but the best for you. Adele, what's she doing now? I'm just saying she doesn't have the same her first the album she dropped was it 21 or something like that? What was the one before the first one? Yeah, well she had 19. Nine, yeah, 19 21. and 21. Those two were classics. Killer man. albums, yeah. And then I think she'll be back. I think what happened was she those were both breakup albums and she went and got married. And people don't know how to sing happy harder. songs. Yeah, exactly. They don't know how they don't um, know what to do with happy. So, but then I think she got divorced. So I expect a, a good album. Did she get again. divorced? I know she's dating some rapper yeah. dude right now, or whatever. So you expect a good album to come out? <laughs> yeah, That's terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> I, um, man, I love Megan Trainer. I'm a I'm Megan Trainer. No, she's such a good songwriter, and the stuff no. that doesn't go on the radio. No man, the stuff that doesn't go on the radio is so good. Okay, I'm gonna look it up right now. Give me a good making trainer song. Classic, no classic R and B stuff. That's really good. Megan Trainer. Megan Trainer, yeah. Give me. I'm looking it up right now. Tell me which one. You gotta give me. Give me your best Megan Trainer R and B joint. If you say all about that bass, no trouble. I'm gonna (laughs) flip out, dude. Okay, so here's the deal. I do like that song, but um, that's not. <laughs> um, She's a culture vulture, bro. I mean, what are you talking about? She's a culture vulture. She went back um, to the sixties and robbed them blind, bro. Like really dude, robbed she, them. Dude. She was 15 years old when she got her first, uh, first deal writing. BMI. Give me the song. 15 years old. Give me the song. I just want the song. Okay. I know you got uh, her accolades well, and all. I just want the song. The Okay. Um, I'm, I'm going to find it. I mean, she's got the song with John Legend, like I'm going to lose you, but I'm thinking you go by... Um, that ain't nothing but a power play for him. I'm going to go find uh, it. Have you heard Lips Are Moving? Then I know you lying. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing. I'm all about that bass. No treble. It's the same song. Dude, that song's so good, though. No, uh, it's not. Yes, it is. It has yes, no. It is. it is Jason. Have you? I'm I'm trying to find her brand newest one. Has mm. it made you look? It's like this really cool early '70s R&B vibe. I think it's called "Made You Look." Jason. We were talking about Lauren Hill, <laughs> and then we was talking about dude. the closest thing was Adele, and you bring up Megan Trainer, dude. She's she's so talented. She's really witty. Her lyrics are really witty. She's she's a great. By the way, when I use the word, I, I won't back down. I won't back I, well, down. She's no, a great no, writer. Actually, that would be a better song than anything from her. 
she got she got she's she was 15 years old and got brought on as a professional songwriter J- at, at BMI. Jason. Right? She's written some amazing stuff. The, Jason, she's, she's very very talented. That's just because of how desperate we are for good R and B music, and she just kind of <laughs> she would not even we wouldn't pay attention to her in the era of Lauren Hill. That's like saying that. Yeah. I, I I think that you would have gotten stuff that has has less robots playing drums, and then we would have. I mean, everything we make now has got a robot playing drums, and I think that's the reason we don't get the same, we don't get the same feel, and we don't get the same danceability, we don't get the same movement that that you used to in the '90s, because all that R and B had real bands behind it. I mean, not all of it, but. Most of it still did, and we don't anymore. And so nothing's going to have the same feel unless you get a human playing drums. Her stuff is soulless, though. For R and B, it's soulless. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. <laughs> if it had, you you put a good, you you put a better band behind her, and it's not soulless anymore. Have you ever heard of her? Everything's everything is soulless right? that's coming out of the major labels. Have you have you heard of her? H dot E dot R, yeah. I don't think so. <gasps> yeah, that I, I could tell because otherwise you would have never said Megan Trainer. I'll send you <laughs> I'll send you hers mixtape. And if Okay, you, don't do it. And I'll, and I'll send you my favorite Megan Trainer playlist. I'm still waiting. <laughs> okay, here's the deal. I actually listened to everything from Megan Trainer. <laughs> I followed her career and I think that she has been good. At this is what I call I don't use culture vulture probably the same way that everybody else does. I use culture vulture in the sense that she hasn't really brought anything new to the game. She's riding the wave of old stuff and just kind of like picking some of it off and trying to put it into her. I don't I don't think I don't think she has anything to bring to the game that is valuable poetically or musically. I think that she's bringing old stuff back, you know. She's not even pulling a Kanye with this one. Kanye was like, do the why, do the limit. I mean, come on, man. Like, that was, I mean, he was taking the old stuff, bringing it back, and then rapping through literally a wire shut mouth. That is not Megan Trainer for R&B at all. So, so you're telling me that it's Kanye or nothing. That's what you're saying. No, no, no. Anything I, that's not at Kanye's level. No, I'm not saying that because Kanye wasn't at Kanye level for a long time. You know what I mean? But what he was, and when people heard Kanye, they were like, "Oh man, he's ripping off old songs. Oh, he's just sampling." But what he was doing was keeping alive something that was old. And we finally caught up to Kanye. There is no catching up to Megan Trainer, right? There is no like, there is no. She's she's she listens to the old stuff, but she doesn't know how to let that internalize her and then write something that is like I'm not gonna with, with Adele. She was all heartbroken and going through breakups, and everybody felt Adele. I didn't, it's they, true. I ain't never turned on a making train or something and been like, oh, that's no. my heart. Like, no. Right, she, doesn't. She, had, she had too good of a relationship with her parents and <laughs> never did any drugs. And, <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. I got it, sir. Are you saying that because I'm not. Song <laughs> to her mom and you know, all that. Just because, no, 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 no. That's what liberals do. They take this emotional play. It's like, oh, you know, you wrote a song to your mom, therefore it must be good. That is not a logical flow. No, it's nice that she wrote a song to her mom, but it still probably wasn't good. good. That was a good song. And and second of all, you don't write a song. Well, the last time somebody wrote a song to their mom, it was the final song that you write to your mom. There's only two. There was Dear Mama from Tupac. 
right? That was the gonna say Tupac. And Mama, you the queen of my heart from Boys and Men. That's it. You don't write no more. <laughs> After in R and B, don't nobody write any more songs to their mama unless they singing them. That's the like rules number one for R and B, hands down. Yeah, Jason, I I don't even know if I can finish the rest of this interview today. I'm all I know. turned up. I know. I just want you to know that's all going live. I'm I'm just I, didn't, I want everybody to know. And if anybody <laughs> that I, I love Megan Trainer, no, no, I'm fine with you loving you know Megan Trainer. I'm I'm fine I'm with that. I listen to Neil Diamond too. I know. And it's, I'm fine with Neil Diamond, but he's he's I'm I listen to him. I'm fine with that. But to bring Megan Trainer into the conversation, <sighs> into the conversation with Lauren Hill and Adele is sacrilege. I just want to say, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I mean, you you know yeah. you could we'll see who I, we'll we'll see who has the longest uh, career. <laughs> you mean between Adele and Megan Trainer? No, you are joking. You just now you now you play it. Now I'm just messing with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because now I, I almost no. took the bait. I almost, I almost, yeah, almost, I almost had you though. Yeah, <laughs> I had to think about. it. I was like, do I want to take the bait on this or not? You know what? But this okay. So, so this is probably an interesting turn because I think I think you're I think you're you know we've talked about this before a little bit, but you said part of the problems with parents is that they don't understand. Um, uh, what was it? Just Justin Bieber's baby, baby, baby. Yeah. Oh, when I came out, I was I was all about. I was fine. I was. I know who wrote the song. You know, Dream wrote the song. He's like, we got to give. Right. Yeah, we got to give uh, my my little dude a hundred twenty BPM song. You know, so he can blow it right. up. So it was like programmed to hit exactly and do what it did. Like I, the Dream is brilliant as far as R and B. He yeah. get, he gets R and B. Right. He's probably one of the more brilliant writers and producers out there. Michael B. Cox. Um, an, another R&B producer out there. I'm, I'm with those guys, right? I love what they do. And so when he did that for Justin, I was all about it. But you said that there's like, like parents are are missing out on what's going on in, in that. And so they kind of are going to, they're disconnected from their kids. So I, I can, my problem with some of the music is that it became a character of itself. Yeah, I think so. And, and that's what, that's so when I think about Megan, I think about that, but this is a bigger issue because I wasn't going to talk about this because we're supposed to go into this poem. All right, guys, so much trouble. People said, I want to hear the poem uh, from Mark That's Dottie. That's okay, because I can, I, I can go straight to a poem. Right from you got this? It. Okay. okay. I, can, I, can go, I can go straight to a poem from this because I think the Justin Bieber is a really good example of, it's a song about a first crush, right? And what happens At 11. is... <laughs> I think it's thirteen in the okay, song. Right, says, I just trying to when see I was thirteen. That's true. All right. Although that might be the chameleon air that says that. But anyway, because uh, isn't that doesn't the chameleon air have a verse? No, no, that was um, that no, no, that or was, was uh, Bust, not Busta. Um, what's his name? Luda. Oh yeah, yeah, Ludacris. So uh, the um, and so his, so his was when he was thirteen. So maybe Bieber's was when he was eleven. But either way, it's a song about a first crush and. If you've seen that Morgan Freeman reads lyrics, it's hilarious. He he reads that song and it like it's deep poetry and it's not right. And we know it's not, but what we, what parents don't get is that all of the kids are singing it because they know what is going on, Mm. right? They, they get what's going on. They hear the song and they're like, yeah, totally. I have experienced that first crush. And what Christian parents do is they want to suppress 
that first crush and like it's and say it's not real rather than say hey let me tell you what to do with that first crush let me teach you what to do with the with these feelings of attraction and let's put them into the context of of reality god it was god's idea for boys to find girls attractive and girls to find boys attractive because um there there's a window there's a, and there's a way to embrace that that says because there is ultimate satisfaction for every single one of our desires in Christ mm. and he created a world that echoes those echoes those ultimate desires with temporary desires and pleasures that are good when used properly and there's a right way to respond to a rush but most parents are they well in my experience, a lot of parents haven't dealt with the shame of their own sexual past, um, their own sexual sin. Yeah. And so when they, they want to protect their kids from their first crush, saying, there's, uh, if that fire can burn down the house, so let's put it out, let's squash it, let you know, and, um, and instead of saying, hey, do you want to know where that that fire goes? Right, it goes into the fireplace, and and how you get there is through marriage, and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And I remember my first crash. Let me tell you about it, and um, it's a really powerful feeling, and it was a, it's a gift from God. And here's the but the ultimate fulfillment of it is it should draw us towards Christ, who is the ultimate fulfillment of all of these things, and and. Um, there's a right way to move towards maturity through a, uh, a crush, a maturity as a Christian, maturity as a person, and there's a raw and there's a way to uh, misuse it or to think it's the end of the thing in itself. Right. Um, when really it's 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 a it's a stamp right, that goes on a letter to send, and instead we just want to lick the stamp and lick the stamp and lick the stamp and never stick it on a letter. Okay, this is going to seem disconnected, but it's not. Okay, so we've talked about Megan Trainer so far, and the fact that yeah. I disagree with you there. We talked about the. Uh, well, that's not over, by the way. We're gonna have we're gonna have a lot of about that at it, some point. We need to totally. bring another person in so we can have like a court case, right? Because I think that, I think an there's expert. an argument. Yeah, I think there's an argument to be made that you're making, but it's not one that I'm willing to tolerate. That's. <laughs> 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 I, I think I know what it is. I just not want to tolerate. Uh, and then we talked about Bieber and missing what's happening there. In both of these conversations, we're talking about art and its impact on people, right? Um, one of the things that we've talked about part privately that I'm about to bring out publicly is creating art for Christians, right? Like that's a yeah. hard and not just art, anything. Christians are probably one of the hardest groups to um, produce content for. And it's yeah. and, and it's because our worldview has things in it that push out uh, certain all of us, all of our worldviews do, but we have a more uh, maybe more of a particular type of diet for content. Yeah. when we put Christian titles on it, because we all know that's not the end of of all when it comes to Christians and their content. Right, somebody's watching Game of That's, Thrones, and yeah, it ain't all the pagans, right. right? Okay, but you said something that I have to challenge or talk to you about, and I wasn't going to watch it until I saw you say it. 
But you said you don't know why people are mad about She-Hulk. <laughs> right? You said, what is it, on Facebook right. or Twitter or something? I think Facebook. I did. Well, I'd, watch, well, I'd watch the pilot episode, and I've seen all of the stuff, right? Uh, everybody's freaking out, and I hadn't had time to watch it. And sat down, I watched the pilot episode, and I was like, okay, are they going to? Are they going to turn it on me? Because uh, they haven't yet, right? In the pilot, right, 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 right. They had not. There wasn't anything in there that I thought, okay, okay well, they've they're setting me up or whatever that I could see, right? And maybe I hadn't. Fi- I haven't finished it yet. But maybe you know, if I finish the season, then I'll see how they were setting me up for something in the first episode. So it it, it was. Oh, I got it, you. It's a very. It, does that make sense? Right. So, yeah, so on so Facebook, you- I said. What are they? What are they setting me up for? I don't see it yet. I got you. So right? I said, yeah, I, the, yeah, the yeah. pilot episode didn't have anything in it. Well, um, let me and, let me push back on that. Go ahead, I'll, I'll push back on that. So, but I had so here's the here's the other thing you got to know. I don't really do social media, so I hadn't seen any of their social media campaigns. Perfect, though. Yeah, which some people linked them to me, and I was like, oh, had I seen that. Oh, right. okay. So, but wait, they but, made some stuff clear in their social media campaigns that were not in that was not in the pilot. That's facts. I agree with you right? on that. Yeah. So, so somebody linked me to their Instagram, and I was like, "Oh, they're setting me up for something." Yeah, they're setting me up for something, and they're and they're letting you know, right? They're they're being in their Instagram. They were, um, and in their uh, in in some of the interviews that they did with, uh with the actress. Yep. Yep. Right. She, she said, well, Hey, here's what we're going to do with this thing. Right. I hadn't seen any of that. You just watch the pilot and say, everybody's freaking out. Where is it? I don't see it yet. What was funny was how people immediately start saying, (laughs) you know, you're a moron because you can't, you haven't seen the third episode yet. Moron. (laughs) <laughs> right oh so you're okay with a, a woman sleeping around and everything and, and i was like i told you i only saw the pilot that's not in the pilot what yeah are you yeah so i mean and and i thought this is this is the reason that that christians don't um are so hard to serve right you the um is to to one well one of the reasons right so to immediately start going after somebody um because they can't see what you can see right or haven't seen what you have seen or you know the um there is we don't have the subtlety that um well so here's a here's a good example so started watching the new um uh the new Oh, so the remake of the old show with Scott Bakula, uh, Quantum Leap. Oh, right, <laughs> right. That's going to be start a short season. That's going to be short lived. I'm sure it will. I I start watching it, and and the first episode, you've got um the science the science computer nerd dude. It's like hmm, he's a little feminine. That's interesting. <laughs> you know, third episode, he's got he's he's starting to wear makeup and uh, and it's fingernails are painted right um fifth or sixth episode he's wearing jewelry like a pearl necklace i was like oh they're 
they sneak their um they start with a character who is but they don't start him out as obviously trans. Right. But you know by the end of the season he's going to be wearing dresses. Right. So they are they get what they're doing that they're working you into comfort with this. So so you know I open up the first episode and I say trans dude, right? I'm I'm done, but they know this is how long it's going to take for them to get connected to the story and need to know what happens in the end. And that's when we'll start introducing the pearls and dresses on the dude. So and so it, in She-Hulk the pilot episode, if you know what's coming, maybe it's visible. When you don't, it's not visible in there. But D- Jason, you one of the things that I've learned about you, and I've actually embraced this from you, is I've I've tried to give things a. But this is this is really hard. I've tried to give things a fair shake, right? I've mm-hmm. tried to give things a fair shake on their on on the face value, and and without all the bells and whistles going off because. I'm charismatic. Whatever a typical evangelical has, I got about 16 <laughs> to 30 more on the backside of that. Right. Um, right. And so w- when the first time I saw, so I actually wasn't going to watch She-Hulk because I didn't even like the premise. I felt like that they were uh, violating well, some of their own storytelling rules, you know, and they, and it's not just with a, She-Hulk. Go ahead. As a comic book, it's a comedy, right? It's, 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 so it's supposed to be like a sitcom. Mm. As a comic book, it's not. It does not take itself seriously. No, not at right? all. Which was like, yeah. which was really disappointing. Which honestly, it wasn't just the She Hulk. It was actually the Hulk. The way that they kind of, you know, they've been really messing up the Hulk for the last fifteen yeah. years. Like, they, I mean, they just have been yeah. struggling to find what is he. They have no metaphysical reality well, that, for what the Hulk is. <laughs> that happened in the comics too, though. They didn't know what because uh, there's a certain point. It, it's similar to Superman. He's a hard character to write stories for because he doesn't have an internal dialogue when he's the Hulk, right? He doesn't have it. So what, what do you do with a character who Mm. is a force of nature, right? He's so he's a great secondary character. He's really hard to make a primary. Oh my goodness. He's, he's not human. I mean, Mm -hmm. I get that, but I mean, like there is no humanity to to him. Right. So they have to find, his humanity, they have to develop his character into a human. And that's what makes it, that's what makes Hulk movies so bad most of the time. They're, Cause they're just trying to, you, you've got to f- find that. And um, it could be a really interesting character. Um, and, but it's a, it's a hard character. Superman, same way. Superman's really hard to write for. Why is Superman because, hard to write for? Cause he doesn't have, um, he doesn't have weaknesses, right? So, kryptonite. Um, the right, <laughs> but that it's not he. He doesn't have moral weaknesses. Put it that way. He doesn't have, and that's that's always the struggle, right? So, yeah, I mean, the unless you're Superman Zack Snyder, movies, then he's got to. <laughs> yep. The good. That's 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 the problem. Is they all? That's what they always end up doing. How do we make? how do we give him a moral struggle? You had the same thing with Aragorn, uh, Aragorn in the, the uh, Lord of the Rings movies. You've got a character that doesn't have moral struggles, 
what do you do with him? You can't leave him out like Tom Bombadil, right? You have to, he's got to be in there. Well, what they do is they give him moral struggles that he doesn't have in the book because we don't know how to write those characters. So um, what they, what they did well with the Superman movies that worked, what they do is they make a world that has to conform to him. Same thing with the first Iron Man movie. The reason it worked is you have a character that doesn't have a moral flaw in a world that does, and the world comes into line with him. So instead of it being a character about his heroic journey, it's a character about the world um, discovering it uh, a a new sense of morality because of his wait, sacrifice. Wait, come on, Iron Man. Iron Man. Uh, yeah. not, I'm excuse me. Uh, not Iron. Not Iron Man. Uh, Captain America. Ca- okay, First Captain yeah, yeah. America. I was gonna say Iron yeah. Man had a couple moral problems. <laughs> right. First Captain America. The or Superman. The old Superman movie. Of the very the first Superman movies, fantastic. But that's what it is: is he sacrifices himself, and the world comes into line morally. Right the the world is changed. So it, it those are harder to write right now because of the cynicism. So it's easier to write something like The Boys, where people get power and they're good guys until they're not, and then they become the bad guys. Right. That because um, we we're more comfortable in a world without heroes than we. Um, but we actually, I think that's why we need to be writing stories with heroes. We need to restore our sense of the sense of heroism and the goodness of heroism. Well, then, um, I, but it would seem though that <clears throat> they would have a massive problem with the scriptures then with Christ when he comes on the scene because there he there's no moral failure. There's no there's nothing in his armor to stop him. He's just, but the part of it is that <clears throat> he operates both uh, with the hypostatic union, depending on what, what's happening. Right. And so they, <clears throat> they don't know how to manage that in their writing, but they have a perfect model in Christ. Right. And that's where as Christians, we ought to have an advantage, but, but, but we don't read the Bible like it's a story, right? We read the Bible like it's uh a theological workbook. And so we don't let our storytelling be formed by the scriptures. You because it's it's literature. It's perfect literature. It's inerrant literature, but it's it's literature. It functions um, as literature. And we should let our literature be formed by it, but we're not well formed by the scriptures. Okay. Because so- I, I don't think we we come to it in a submissive way, right? We we come to it looking for building blocks instead of submitting ourselves to it as it, as it is. So then we, so then when our stories, we, we probably, and this is what happens when the gospel is starting to leave a culture. We can't think of other stories with a hero that doesn't have um, errors in his armor, right? Like we can't, that kind of person just wouldn't be. We don't know how to tell that story. Yep. And we, um, people want it. I mean, Captain America's incredibly popular. People want that story, but they have a hard time believing it. And we it's hard to find writers that want to write that story. So then like they even have a problem with stories like Job then cuz he 
for them, they would all write the story like Job's friends were right, <clears throat> right? Like mm-hmm. Job did something wrong. He did something wrong. They can't write the bigger story, the bigger narrative that's there. You know, it was really interesting. You're talking about the Hulk. I've always had the problem. Like, why am I having a problem with the Hulk? And I think you just nailed it for me. It's because <clears throat> his character doesn't represent a hero as we are understand heroes in the Western culture, Western environment because of the Christian gospel, right? Our heroes aren't the kind um, that actually, I mean, I guess you can think about it in the time of judges. He probably fit inside of some of that categories, but that doesn't point to the ultimate hero. But he's not human when he transforms to be the kind of person that needs to deal with wickedness. He's not human in that point. Yep. So how do you write? So then he's not trying to be a hero in any way. He's just lashing out. Right. How do you how do you write a story with a hurricane as the central character? Yeah. Right. Right. You can't. <clears throat> and that, that's always the difficulty with Hulk. Now, having a hurricane on your side that shows up when you need to fight sometimes, he's a great character in of an, an Avengers movie as a side <sighs> character. No, you're right. right. That's why he had to be mixed with Bruce, because otherwise mm-hmm. you don't get the human side of that's that's really yeah. good. So, but yeah. the thing and that so, go ahead, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I mean, the, the thing that bothered me immediately about She Hulk was that because of I, I, I took everything that was going on in the culture, everything that I know is going on with Disney, everything that I know that they're trying to push on us, and I came to it with those lenses, and I'm just like, and I just start identifying, marking off. Okay, this is that. This is yeah, trans. There this it is, is homosexuality. There, there, and <clears throat> and I didn't even, I didn't really. So when I watched it. I only watched it because of your comments. And so I said, well, let me see what's going on. And so I, then I, so I didn't watch it because I already done my checklist just from the trailer. When she picked the dude up from the couch um, and then carried him off into the room from the yeah, trailer. See, I didn't, oh, you didn't see that. I didn't even see the trailer. Yeah. Right. I saw the trailer. I was like, oh yeah, I know what's going on here. That is not cool. <laughs> that is. <laughs> so here's, so, but he, so here's my question though, is can Christians learn to be as subtle of a storyteller as as they are well she hulk wasn't a subtle storytelling to me <clears throat> so when i saw so when i so when i saw the trailer i, I knew kind of where they were going to go when when i saw the pilot i i had different thoughts because i watched the pilot as if i was going to watch it with you right and i was like so I'm, I'm gonna be a little more open i'm gonna let them tell their story and the pilot did something to me that was very low budget and cheap it What's that? It, it, it's kind of like when you go into a, the, the first episode was just locked inside of one place. And it was like, the, so you can test and see how, how much power she has. And it was like, come on, man. Like, y'all, this is all you guys are going to write. I want to leave. Oh, you can't leave. You're going to be a hero. And it was, it, it just didn't feel like that they built. It. I thought it was interesting how she got infected a little forced. Um, totally forced. And so I just, but, I didn't it's feel like the, it was good storytelling. I didn't even care about the other stuff at that point. I just didn't feel like it was good storytelling. Uh, my sus- my suspicion, as I watched it, I thought they're going to turn this on me, right? What they're what they, they had they barely even tell a story. It's Act One. The, yeah. the pilot is Act One, and that's something that I don't like about the new way that television is written, uh, where the seer the they don't write it as if each episode needs to be its own story. I I think that's, I think it's generally lazy, right? You have to watch an entire season to get us to get the story. That's not, I I don't like that. I like my, I like every episode to be 
self-contained. That's connected. Self-contained story. Yeah. And episode one wasn't. You you can tell it's just it's. Um, but that's because you're biblical, Jason. Upon, you're you're a Christian, so you got all these sixty six books that tell one story. You know, <laughs> right? Exactly, exactly. But but what they do in that episode, it's all about connecting you to the characters, or it's all about the charm of each actor that they bring in, and they don't introduce non charming characters in the in episode one so yeah whatever it is you. that's why I, I felt i felt ooh. that's my but that's what i'm saying what is that is that the right way to tell stories do you just show all your card front can is it okay to say okay here's where i want people to end up here's where i know people are i'm going to tell a story that starts where they're at purposefully to move them is that okay? Or is that propaganda? Right? Is that something that we as Christian storytellers should be doing or not doing? I, I don't think most Christian storytellers have the skill to do it. I agree. Whether or not it's the right thing to do, that's what I'm trying to figure out. And I can't find anybody having the conversation. Tried to spark it with She-Hulk, but then my wife got sick, and so I disappeared off social media, and I never even finished the I haven't even watched anything. I, I finished. Not, I, I, I watched I, a little bit of the new show on Wrexham, the Wrexham soccer show. But other than that, I barely yeah. watched anything. I finished the whole season against my family's yeah. wishes. My family was like, "What are you doing watching this, Dad? <laughs> shame on you!" Oh, I loved. I loved the fact that my but, family had a, a natural rejection to this, and I was like, "I'm, I'm watching it. I'm gonna let them, and then I'm gonna make my decision." You know. And this, it was after having, I think that's the only thing to, to do. If you haven't, if you're not going to watch it, I, I say, don't, you don't, you don't, you haven't earned the right to criticize it. If you haven't watched it. Well, I don't, I don't, yeah. You can explain why you're not going to watch it. There is, you can say, here's what I know about it. I'm not going to watch it for these reasons. Yeah. But you, you don't get, you you don't get to solid critique of it. That's a valid critique Mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Um, I think okay. I so could, there's all sorts of things that I haven't watched that I know I'm not going to watch. And if somebody says, "Oh man, if you watch that," I'll say, "No, I know, I know too much about it. I'm not going to watch it." So, and they'll say, "Man, it's amazing," or "Oh, it's terrible." You're like, yeah, maybe I don't know. I haven't seen it. I can't make that. I can't make the criticisms um, of of somebody that's watched it. I can make an argument for why I'm not going to watch it. Yeah. You know. Um, okay, so then we need to go watch a movie together. And there's two out that I really want us to see. I want us to see Black Adam and yeah. Black Panther two. I think we should go watch those. And, and, and all right, and, and maybe Woman King when it comes out. On I want to I want us to watch those because I, I that I think those are interesting. Um, so Woman King, real quick, and then we'll jump into this poetry because it's all it's kind of the same thing, honestly. It is it's the same. It's the same question, and I think, I think what's so hard is there is a skill level in storytelling being leveraged against us, and we don't have a response in kind. No, right? and, <clears throat> that's a good point. Like you know, so you know, Lore just dropped Lore Clausen's um, procedure video, and we had yeah. Marcus Pittman and Lore on the show yesterday. And I watched that video and it changed the complete texture in the room. It was different after watching that. Um, and it was no question that it affected you. And I started making me think it was like, what would it have been like to get a jet magazine 
back in the 60s, was it early 60s or late 50s, and Emmett Till's face and casket is all over the front of it, and I had to, mm-hmm. op- I had to deal with it. It's in my face. I have to deal with it. That would have changed my whole day. Would have changed every because that's real life, you know. And watching this, mm-hmm. even though it's cartoon, and I asked Marcus, I said, Marcus, why is this having a different impact on me than just images? Because I've seen the pictures before. I've seen the real pictures. I've seen the real videos of the human body. <clears throat> I've seen all that stuff, but this is different. Why is it different? And Marcus said that's the difference between storytelling and art versus just pictures. You have music behind it. You have a narrative behind it. There's actors. All this is moving you in one particular direction. Now, picture is definitely art, but it's singular. It's not doing all that. There's no music you hear at the time. There's no story behind it. There, you know, this child in the procedure, there's a story of a do- of the technician who is experiencing this person dying. And he's telling you from his perspective, watching this w- girl die. And so the score that's there, it was... It's it is it, it's art that does exactly what it's supposed to do, and right. <clears throat> and it was it's the first time I thought about oh that's why we don't do so well, It's because mm-hmm. we don't take all those things, um, you know people people will clown and talk about the charismatic folks, but one of the things that charismatic people do understand is that music and it. Without being, without driving emotionalism to its extreme, but you should have emotion. That's what Edwards was good for me on. You know, there should be mm-hmm. a godly emotion to the realities that you are sent to that causes something to stir up in you. That isn't wrong. It's wrong when you're manipulated to do that and to do it for the wrong ends, right? And so we've right. lost all that as Christians to say, we, well, we don't want to play on people's emotions or we don't, no. I want you to have the right emotions to seeing someone die who shouldn't yeah. be killed. Right? I want you to say no right. and to weep about that, right? Because um, we're not we're not rationalists, right? We don't right right. The rationalism was the way that was the road out of Christianity. That is not Christianity, uh, and it, it the like, slavery was ended by the Methodists in England. Because Hannah Moore started putting on plays um, in all of the areas where no one else would put on a play, or so she went into all the poor areas. She went anywhere, anywhere she could, where there was a uh, a theater that other people weren't using, and she started producing plays uh, telling the realities of slavery. Right, and the so by the time the vote comes around, the English population. Once slavery ended, moral because imagination. when yeah yeah the moral imagination had been uh, reformed by the novels and the plays and the poetry of Hannah More, um, and I think <clears throat> and most people don't even know her name right and she she was incredibly influential because we think that it was that slavery was ended by a vote right the vote was the response to the people no longer wanting slavery because mm. when, um, when, when they were arguing on the floor that we, that England, that England needed to end slavery, uh, the argument was quit bringing your religion into this, uh, room. This is an economic question, not a religious question. And all of you abolitionists are trying to bring religion into politics. And we don't do that here. 
this is about the, the economics can't you, the economics of England. Wow. By the time that the the vote actually went though, it was because all these people know if I don't vote to abolish slavery on English soil, I will be removed by the population from my mm. my spot, my role. It, um and so everyone had to let their morality change um if they wanted to keep the uh, keep their position in the government. So, uh, but what, how we tell the story um, is that the vote changed, uh, right. uh, ended slavery because we are actually modernists who think that we could vote to change, to change the, to, to change the culture. So Jason, do you think that what we see with the overturning of Roe v. Wade is just that is it just a vote or has something happened in our moral imagination that's adjusted like what do you i think i think that the that the years the generations now of work that pro-life christians have been doing uh, has seeped out and the stories have now been told and enough people have been affected by abortion personally that they want it to go away um and the the overturning of Roe versus Wade. I think the other thing that it does is in God's economy is it reveals that there are places that have repented and places that have not mm. in the country. Right, that our country is not a homogenous place, but that there are states now where um, where abortion is no longer. Or is has been is being limited is going down is disappearing, um, uh, because of the work because of the work of repentance you know that because the of the repentance of people so it's not as easy as yes and no it's like some here none there you no, know yeah fire going out yeah. over here fire blazing over there you know so we have this well the, split. It, it, Kanye when when you have Kanye going on any um. And saying you know the, the largest killer of blacks in America is abortion, you know on on uh, oh where where was that interview? He was interviewed by Tucker Carlson. Yeah, right. He's um, been saying it everywhere though. But yeah, yeah, he's been saying it everywhere. But that I think was the largest platform that that he's had, and and he was really clear. And just to see um, Tucker Carlson, you know, say. I, I, I want everybody to know I agree with you, right? This is a problem, but, but he, he was, I mean, I think even he was surprised at the straightforwardness of, <laughs> of it, Kanye in that moment. It. Yeah. And and you, it's Kanye. So you know, he's going to be straightforward, but he, that I think we're in this weird cultural moment where you've got um, years, generations of labor from uh, uh, fruit that doesn't look like it should be able to happen. Um, like the overturning of Roe versus Wade. I don't think there was anybody that saw it coming. All right, let's, uh, I gotta, mm, let's do go through this poem. We've been trying to go through this poem for like, what, six weeks now? 
<laughs> I think something like that. And somebody or so me, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Somebody sent me a, a message on Facebook. It was like, uh, excuse me, could you let Jason go through the poem, please? I mean, you cool and all Knox, but can we please get through the poem? <clears throat> we've been trying to get through this poem. Okay. So I don't know if I should. Yeah. We've been trying to get through this poem for a while because why, why were we trying to go through this poem again? Um, you, you asked for a poem that could show us why poetry is important. Yeah. Oh, that's right. We, we you know, we, uh, for the most part, you, our problem isn't, our problem has been literature, poetry. That's part of what's got us so Gnostic. So, um, stuck in this, we can't see very well. Why we don't tell stories well, we don't understand poetry. We can't read poetry. And so instead of talking about all the problems, you were like, we just need to be doing it. Let's just do poetry. And then as we hit the problems, we'll work through them. But let's do poetry. So let's, I'm going to try and do the poetry this time. There's just so many other things I want to hit. But every time it always comes back to, you know, do we know how to be poetic? Do we know how to read poetically? Do we know how to think poetically? And do we know how to speak poetically? Okay. And so this is us trying to do that. Yep. Because. Because the poets always, always lead the culture. Doesn't matter. That's doesn't matter. It's all, it, always, and so, um, the yeah the the storytellers, the poets, they're the ones that are out in front, leading leading the culture for good or for ill. So, this one is called Messiah Christmas Portions. Oh, and it's just by, in time. <laughs> exactly. It's by and it's by the poet Mark Dottie. I'll I'll just read it and then we'll yeah, talk yeah. about it some. A little heat caught in gleaming rags in shrouds in shrouds of veil torn and shun, sun sun I'm going to start over. I wasn't ready. <laughs> a little a little heat caught in gleaming rags in shrouds of veil torn and sunshot swaddlings over the Methodist roof two clouds propose a Zion of their own blazing Colors of tarnish on copper against the steely close of a coastal afternoon, December, while under the steeple, the Coral Society prepares to perform Messiah, pouring in their best blacks and whites onto the raked stage. Not steep, really, but from here, the first pew, they're a looming cloud bank of familiar angels, that neighbor who fights operatically with her girlfriend, for one, and the friendly bearded clerk from the post office, tenor trapped in the body of a baritone, altos from the A&P, soprano from the t-shirt shop. Today, they're all poise, costume and purpose, conveying the right note of distance and formality. Silence in the hall, anticipatory, as if we're all about to open a gift we're not sure we'll like. (laughs) How could they compete with Sunset's burnished oratorio? Thoughts which vanish when the violins begin. Who'd have thought they'd be so good? Every valley proclaims the solo tenor, a sleek blonde I've seen somewhere before. The liquor store? Shall be exalted. And in his handsome mouth, the word is lifted and opened into more syllables than we could count. Central awe dilated in a Baroque melisma, liquefied. The pour of voice seems to make the unplaned landscape the text predicts the Lord will heighten and tame. 
This music demonstrates what it claims. Glory shall be revealed. If art's acceptable evidence, mustn't what lies behind the world be at least as beautiful as the human voice? The tenors lack confidence, and the soloists, half of them anyway, don't have the strength to found the mighty kingdoms these passages propose. But the chorus, altogether, equals burning clouds and seems itself to burn commingled powers deeded to a larger centering claim. These aren't anyone we know. Choiring dissolves. Familiarity in an uppouring rush which will not rest, will not for a moment be still. Aren't we enlarged by the scale of what we're able to desire? Everything, the choir insist, insists, might flame inside these wrappings, burns another brighter life, quickened now by song. Hear how it cascades in over lapidary waves of praise. Still time, time to change. Boy, there's a lot there. There is a lot there. It's very dense. It's very packed. Why did you pick this one for us? Because I picked this one. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the, <laughs> sorry. The reason I'm asking is because I was asking you to pick something <clears throat> that would help us. You know, the whole reason I started reading Dante, the whole reason I started getting into poetry now is because I'm trying to have vision. I'm trying to see have clear, see the plays and see everything that's going on in the culture and then see how to apply the gospel to it. And so I asked you to grab something that would help us develop those type of skills. So how does, yeah. how does something like this develop those skills? Well, there's a couple reasons. Cause one, the content of it explains exactly why the skills are important. So this is written by a non-Christian. Huh. who so he's going he was invited by a neighbor to come see them seeing the messiah at the church and so he and any he, so it's the story of him going with low expectations and he almost stops and doesn't go in because the sunset's really beautiful outside the church and he says i'm gonna have to sacrifice finishing watching this beautiful sunset to go in and listen to a choir because I know somebody. And so I'm, so he goes in thinking he's going in to be polite, um, but that he's missing out on a beautiful sunset. And, and then he starts looking around and he starts recognizing the people in the choir and thinking, these are just some people that I know from the neighborhood. Um, you know, the, 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 I know from the liquor store that I know from the gas station, like, uh, um, and but then they start singing and he records the effect that the music has on him and there's a couple of a couple of things that the music does to him um one it makes him think he, he says it, it makes him realize or or he see that if it, this might be true right he says this is so beautiful that I, I, it makes me hope that the words are true, right? And I mean, and, he, and it makes him even question his own worldview because he says, maybe there's some, there is something behind the world. Maybe there is something I'm that I am supposed to see through 
the sunset. Yeah. Maybe there was some, something I'm supposed to see through. And he says, and if there's something behind the world, it has to be at least more beautiful than the human voice, which at that moment is, you know, is, is rat is wrecking him that how gorgeous it is. I, I love how he says this. He says the music demonstrates what it claims glory shall be revealed. If art's acceptable evidence mustn't, what lies behind the world be at least as beautiful as a human voice. It's really well said. It is <clears throat> right. And, and so it, what's so interesting about it is you've got this, uh, um, this man, is not, um, he is not well disposed to the gospel, to the scriptures. He doesn't like it. He's actually a homosexual. Ah. Right, he's a he's a he's a famous homosexual poet out of San Francisco, um, but he can't when he listens to the Messiah being sung, he can't he can no longer sit there and just flat out deny the, mm. the good news of the gospel because it's being presented so beautifully. So it it makes him stop and say, "Wait, what are they saying? What's the claim here? Because this is too." And it makes him stop and almost hope that it's true it, because he see because it, the art gives a glimpse of the beauty of the of the gospel and a beauty of of the lordship of Christ because that's what he's singing about. And he says the voice isn't quite strong enough to establish what it claims. Mm. Right, every mountain shall be exalted, every valley uh, or every every valley shall be exalted, every mountain shall be brought low. Um, he says. But it demonstrates it, right? It's a win that he he the art becomes a window through which the truth of the good news is visible to him. Now, he doesn't convert on the spot or anything, but but he says, "I can't just I can't just mock this, right?" Listening to the Messiah, he says, "I can't just mock the Lordship of Christ." Because because this makes it beautiful. This displays how beautiful it is, and it even and this is one of the things that poetry does. A good poem does well where you read it when you get to the end. The next time you read it, the beginning has a new meaning, right? So um, and that's so um, we so when you go back to the beginning after you see that the that the choirs the the choirs of the Messiah has torn back a veil. When you get back, when you go back and read the beginning, it says mm. a little heat caught in gleaming rags in shrouds of veil torn and sunshot swaddlings over the Methodist roof. Two clouds propose a Zion of their own blazing colors of tarnish on copper against the steely clothes of a coastal afternoon uh, under the steeple. Right, um, the, the music has built a steeple and uh, that he that he heard that revealed what he didn't see in the sunset before he came in right so it, the the music tore back the veil and showed him heaven showed him christ seated on seating on the throne and when you go back and you see um you read the beginning you see that it has caused him to realize that there's a that that he didn't see through the veil of the sunset over the roof on the way in right so 
it's a beautifully constructed poem. He's a very gifted poet. Um, but he's he is talking about the reason that Christians need to be working in the arts and not realizing it. I don't think he's realizing it. I think he's um, but I, I I think he's it's this honest assessment that he's making um of the effect that here song is having on him. Um and and as Christians, we we come from a long tradition and line of artists, of great artists, but they had a, a, a view of the world that each art still made sense. We we have a tendency because of our cosmology, we think art is manipulative. Mm. Uh, and so um rather than art actually being revealing right the art that 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 the words of isaiah sung can somehow be truer than the words of isaiah on the page not truer because they are they're false on the page but because in the context being the beauty of the truth comes through and is and uh, that the truth, if you try to to sep or if you don't add beauty to the truth, then you're not actually getting the whole truth because the beauty is part of the truth. Oh, this is um. As I was thinking about the when as you were talking, I was thinking like, man, he's writing this about the Messiah. Like whenever you go. <clears throat> That's my favorite time of year is because I know I'm going to hear mm-hmm. Handel everywhere, you know, and it's no question. It's beautiful when you hear it, you know? Right. Um, but how, you know, are we, a? there isn't anything modern that lives close to anything like that. There's nothing modern that lives close to anything like that. So you don't get modern things that have the kind of beauty that reveals the majesty of Christ be, and because you don't ha, you know it, it, what is it education um we don't do poetry anymore what 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 is it why don't we have he's this guy this we, homosexual is not going to walk inside of a modern church and be like ooh yeah. these guys pull back the, the veil right 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 and um i i think so we don't have the cosmological assumptions in which even writing something like the Messiah makes sense because we don't believe in the, the, in the fundamental unity of truth, beauty, and goodness. We don't believe in the fundamental unity of the cosmos, the interconnectedness, right? We don't look at the at creation and think it's a symphony. It's a cathedral. We should imitate and write a symphony, build a cathedral, we don't have a cosmology in which it even makes sense to build a cathedral, to write a symphony. Right. So um, now Jesus as the architect is as compelling as he ever has been. So people still get saved mm. because we're saved by being introduced to Jesus the cultural outworking of that, um, it takes generations, but it also takes studied generations, right? It takes the generations that actually dig in and are transformed by the scriptures. And we have been being deformed 
by the storytelling of enlightenment modernism and not formed by the storytelling that that actually believes the world is a symphony the history is a symphony that the world that the creation is a cathedral um, that it all is interconnected that you've got repeating patterns that you have the the wisdom that it takes to see the world as art we don't have it and so when we go to imitate when we go to act we're always imitating who we think god is when we tell a story we're mm. always imitating the kind of storyteller we think god is um and so we get the kind of stories that our faith produces because our faith is thin and squeaky. You said that poetry, good poetry, it reestablishes the beginning when you go back. What are some other rules about poetry? So, you know, you get to the end, you go back to the beginning and you get to see that was really cool. Do you think, did he do that on purpose or was that? Absolutely. Yeah. This is the, I mean, it's the difference between a master, you know, a, a, um, and, you know, somebody that just dabbles and, and I think everybody should be dabbling and writing terrible poetry. I think that's a good, it's a good thing to write terrible poetry. Um, but, uh, a master is someone that there isn't a word out of place that every word is the right word. And I, and so he's definitely doing it on purpose. So, um, and there, there are some, you know, really solid living poets right now. Um, but so some, so some of the rules, uh, not, not, not so much the rules of poetry, but po one of the things that makes poetry great is that you have a, um, that, that the meaning is double. Right, so you're talking, a, you're always talking about more than one thing at a time, um, and then that the the sibilance, the sounds, are in support of the image or in support of the point of the. So there's always there's a musicality yeah. to good poetry, and the musicality of it is also. Uh, a part of the meaning or a part of the atmosphere that's created the rhythm by the that's poem. There. The, yeah, the rhythm. So the, the rhythm, the particular sounds that are chosen, the, the repetition of sounds, um, you know, and this is where you've got some of the great, the, the great writers of poetry and hip hop. Um, they, they really get this, that sort of, you know, that, that the sounds of it all, uh, are the are really central to the way the poetry is going to affect a person. So, um, yeah, I don't, does that all make sense? Yeah, um, it's kind of depressing, man. Sorry, I mean this was supposed <laughs> to be uplifting, but it's kind of depressing because I just feel like there's there's <clears throat> there's a couple things that I'm thinking about for myself. It's, you know, you got to learn how to do poetry. You got to learn. Reading Dante has been interesting because I'm picking up his his rhythm and his beats. I'm hearing his timing, <clears throat> seeing what he's flipping it out and he's going somewhere else with it. Um, and and I feel like I need to read him over and over again because there's something else there. And so <clears throat> we were talking um, 
And so my thought has been, well, what happens when someone decides to make good poetry and if we're not trained to read it, then it, it doesn't have an effect on us. But <clears throat> good poetry is supposed to have beauty so that it does have an effect on you, regardless if you're trained in it or not. Right. So this guy doesn't have to be trained in poetry to have the effect happen to him. He's just able to describe what's happening to him. Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I was trying to think of something that Christians made recently. It's beautiful. You know, that would have that effect, but that, that still does that. Right. So if we're proclaiming, if we're proclaiming the gospel, if we're proclaiming Christ, there is a beauty to that that has that works regardless if we do it well or not. So there's that, right? Like, right. Well, I mean, that's something like, um, like Johnny Cash's America four album where he, he covered that nine inch nails song. Yeah. Um, that would be, I think a good example where, man, I, the first time I heard that, I literally, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't, I couldn't, it's like you can't look away. You, you, I had to stop what I was doing and just listen to him sing, and it it was so moving. But it was it was hugely um, successful. People loved that song, and everybody knew that he's singing about Jesus. There's nobody that walks away thinking that you know that song is not about Jesus. Um, but nobody cared, right? People still loved the song because it's so beautiful. But he has spent his life working on the craft of being able to communicate emotion with a simple melody, right? And he does that so well. That's what Johnny Cash does really well. Uh, but old Johnny Cash, um, you know, recording in his living room was more powerful than young Johnny Cash. Uh, because he'd spent all that time on the craft. Um, and so I think that'd be a, a good example because, you know, he's saying when the man comes around and it, it, he's literally just singing out of the book of Revelation and people are loving it. Um, his, that was his most successful album. Yeah. So, um, so I, there are Christian artists doing that. Um, Andrew Peterson's Christmas, uh, his Christmas concerts are boring. You know, he puts on a Christmas concert with a bunch of musicians in Nashville every year. Um, so there, there are Christians that are trying to do it, but it's not something we're known for. And in the film industry, it's something we're known for not doing. <laughs> I mean, outside of the Passion of the Christ, I can't think of any recently made great Christian film that was thought of as great art if that makes sense you know well who you have uh you have other you have non-christian directors pointing at the passion and saying this movie is one of the greatest examples of a of a well-told well-made movie that you'll ever find All right, what's the next what's the next poem we need to work through? Uh next poem. Do you want to just read you another one or um I kind of want to read wanna, it first. I don't know. Do another one. Let's go for it. We do got, another we, one next week. No, no, let's go for it. Let's do two cuz we've been we hadn't let's let's go for two. 
it's been a little bit. Wait, let's no, wait, let's let's do this. Let's talk about your book. You got a book of poetry. And, and oh, I do. We, yeah, nev- we never talk about your books. We never talk. We say nothing about them. And you have in pursuit of kindness, brother. <laughs> that book, I think everybody needs to read <clears throat> because it's first of all, it's beautiful, um, and it's, it's Christian humanism. It's everything we've been talking about, and it's one of the things that. I hadn't thought about very much. I mean, no one um, in pursuit of kindness. It made me check whether or not I was being kind like Jesus to people. Right. That was, that was really challenging. And it wasn't like it was in your face. It was just like, um, it's amazing how, how far kindness goes and what kindness is and how to operate like that in your daily life. And I, I think what we operate is, is default apologetics, right? Like It's like, okay, right. how do I, you know, but when you're actually pursuing kindness, the way that you talk to people with your apologetics is adjusted. And what you actually use apologetics yeah. for, your apologetics becomes more for you than it does for them. And your kindness becomes something that you bait them with. You know, it's, it's different um, versus like you're ready to argue. No, I'm ready to be kind to a person. This is what kindness looks like. When you talk to someone, when you engage with someone, instead of kind of being robotic and you're apologetic, you're being human. And so anyway, Pursuit of Kindness is is the one that I even have my daughter reading it right now. I, I think everybody needs to go get Pursuit of Kindness from Jason Farley. Um, what other what other you got a book of poetry? Oh, no one doubts well, a belly yeah, laugh. Yeah, no, no one doubts a belly laugh. That was my first book of poetry. Um, and that one, a mixture of comic poetry and what's called devotional poetry or religious poetry. Um, and, uh, and then my newest one. So then I have 20, um, uh, my, my second one is, uh, man, I can't remember what it's called, but, um, is poems about time, about the passage of time. So that one I published right as I turned in 40 or right before I turned 40. And so it's just, reflections on time um uh the and i've gotten really good feedback from folks on both of those um my newest one is called the anchor holds and um it's most so every sunday uh i write a reflective poem about the sermon to try and um try and think through the how does the sermon applies to my life and, really um, yeah and so most of the poems in my newest one are reflections on the christian life in that sense so um interesting the so what uh, re- kind of reflections on sanctification um and and growth and maturity and but it's organized around the parts of a, a ship so saint boniface says that uh, the church is like a great ship sailing the seas of the world. Um, and so I, I organized this new, the, the poems around the different parts of a ship and the, how each part reflects a different aspect of our life. Uh, you know, the anchor, the sail, um, the, yeah, uh, and then, um, it's got a long poem in there, uh, uh, uh called the shipwreck about, the realities of, of the Christian life um, as well. So, uh, and, and it, it technically releases tomorrow, although it's available on Amazon. I was right looking now, at it, I was looking the, at it on Amazon actually. 
<clears throat> yeah. And so it's, and so it's available on the anchor holds. Yeah. Um, poems from the shipwreck is the, the and um, I, what I'm excited about for this one is it's the most personal. My, my poetry has tended to be more didactic just, um, but this is, this is a lot more personal reflection. Um, but, but not, not personal reflection in the sense of like, let me tell you about my life, but um, it's personal reflection on the scriptures. So a lot of the poems are, they have the scripture in the title. Here's the, here is the scripture verse that I'm trying to apply uh, to, to the sanctification of myself and my family. Mm. Um, So, so hopefully it, it's, uh, well received, but it's available on Kindle and in paperback. And uh, if you got Kindle Unlimited, you can read it for free. So yeah, I saw yeah. that. That is, you know, I think the one that started me reading some of your works was uh, you bought me "No One Doubts a Belly Laugh," and it made me think yeah. <clears throat> differently about the kind of creatures we are. <laughs> because I'm yeah. usually spending my time arguing with somebody about a fact or something, and I'm just like, but okay. What is the tangible reality of this thing and how do I communicate that? Because that in and of itself is its own argument. Like someone laughing right. is you won. Like you, you don't, you don't yeah. beat that. Um, and, and so when, when you, when I started reading, no one doubts a belly laugh, I was like, Oh, I've been going around this. I've been going about this all wrong. <laughs> right. I, yeah. Right. Cause if we think that, we and other people are just a collection of ideas working their way out in the world. Um, we're going to approach our life and other people in a particular way that is not helpful because it's not reality, right? We're fighting against reality. If we think that um, we have that, that people are people are an extension of a mind, um, an extension of a logical set of thoughts, right? we, um, C.S. Lewis says that most of the time we make a decision and then we fill in the reasons afterwards, but the decision just comes from the way that up from our gut. And so he says, that's why it's, that's why it's so important that our moral imagination is formed by the right stories because our, our gut response actually guides us around right now. Our gut response can be, Re- reformed or formed properly is sanctified. Um, but, but because our gut response is sanctified or is made up of the story that we are currently telling about our life, um, we have to fo- reform our gut response through yeah. stories. Yeah. Right. And, um, by, by learning new and better and, uh, stories. And so, um, uh, we, uh, when you realize that a person, a person's life is, is a story, a person's decision-making process is more like a, uh, a, a choice about what stanza of the poem we think we're in than it is a logical set of, of, uh, thought through processes, the, the less likely you are to, to think of apologetics and to think of serving your neighbor as a, uh, and a logical exercise and more an exor- exercise in storytelling and, and, and just being 
being the right character in somebody's life. Like what character am I in this person's life? Am I stepping towards them, serving them, loving them? Yeah. It, it gives you kind of a perspective from outside of it and looking at the whole thing it's again, holding it up, but it, it makes people far more complex than ones and zeros too. Right. You start thinking yeah. of people in more human. When you start thinking about people as a form of poetry themselves, right. Um, then you start thinking about this is not just one thing. This is multiple things that are being held together that leads to someone doing and acting and functioning this way. It's not just one thing, which yeah makes a person far more complex. And it makes you think about arguments far more robust too. Um, you know, when, uh, when we talk about the pro-life issue and we talk about um, anything in politics, economics, we don't just think of about one issue or one thing we think about multiple things that lead to this particular outcome that we need to deal right. with, you know, and it makes you think more robust about how you, how you need to function in different spheres. You know, you need the civil magistrate to function its sphere, but we also need to make sure that we're working and thinking about the duties and responsibilities of homes to make a certain type of person and to build a certain type of person so that we have an easier outcome on our civil match. It just makes you think more robust about the whole system, right. not just sim- making it so simple. All right. Um, I was, I don't know if I want to go, I want to do, you make me want to go read some Dante right now, but okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think too, it, it helps you say, it, hel- it helps you properly place yourself in the story because I, Christians, a lot of Christians right now act like they're victims of the system. Um, and that, so when they tell the story, you've got the big bad guy over there, the secular humanist, the, the leftist, Mm. whatever they're up there and they are, um, they're the oppressor and I'm the victim and I'm barely surviving. Um, and it takes us out of all of the opportunities that we have all of the time to love our kids, to raise our kids and to look at them and say, man, look out world. I got, I'm raising kids. We're going to, we're going to leave a divot um, here, right? This, when you have that victim mentality, you don't, you end, you don't, you end up thinking I don't have to make a difference or I'm not going to make a difference um, because there's there, there's somebody too strong that has me under their thumb mm. rather than um man i'm surrounded i've got them right where i want them because i've got these kids look out or i i i'm a plumber that means i'm in people's houses day in day out look out look out devil here i come i'm i'm not only making sure the water flows. But every time I go into a house, pray for the family, um, mm. get to be known as, as the guy that does his work well, does his work cheerfully, right? That, that you are much more dangerous to the world than the world is to you. And that's, that's the story that um, we're told about us, but often by, we don't have the faith to tell the same story about ourselves that, that God is telling about us. So, mm. um, yeah, and, and I think that's one of the sit, you know, the, one of the central things about, you know, you say, well, why would we study poetry? It's like, well, because 
you're a you you're being sent out into the world to write the next stanza of God's poem, right? That's so you're reading poetry because you're you're one dangerous guy, right? You're going to be good at that. <laughs> you want to get good at that, right? I was you know I was talking to Jason Whitlock and uh, he said he was telling me he was like. <clears throat> Dave, I don't think people know how important, you know, the written word he was talking about his articles. Jason is a great writer. And he's like, yeah, if, very if, if there was something more important than the written word, God would have released the Bible out on DVD. Right. Like he's like, but there's, there's nothing more important than the written word. He's like, and we, he's like, that is, that is where, that is where the power is. That is where, you know, and, he, and as he was saying this, I was thinking, I'm like, man, we, we, you know, I've been, since we've been talking, you know, I've been reading the dictionary, going, reading more than I probably have ever had before, put, trying to put new words in my vocabulary, because I think, would you say, a per, if you don't know how to use words, um, how did you say that you won't have, you won't have the power that you need to transform the world because the word was world yeah. made by words? I think our vocabulary is the limit of our, of our dominion. Um yeah. If, in a world made of words. Yeah. And so, you know, and then, so, you, but if you gather words, you got to figure out a way to organize them in a way that's moving. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about the things that, man, okay, we got to go. But if you think about the things that move us right now, it is more the structure of what's said rather than what's said. Right. And if you can ever merge those two things together, my, my dream of a person would be somebody who is, as well read and written like like Doug Wilson, you know what I mean, mixed with the TD Jakes. Man, if I can get those two <laughs> things merged together in the polemic and in the literature, like those two things are that's your best battle rapper you could ever have, right? Right. Because yeah. you know, I mean, Jakes, man, he gonna move you. I don't care if you like him. You don't. You don't have. You don't have to like right. him. Don't really matter. But the the art. Of preaching, the yeah, he, art he of is, it is ma he's, he's got masterful. the art of it down, yeah. and, and he's not the only one. That art is something that's really been developed and matured in Southern and in Black churches, right? Those two, you got Southern Baptists who still have that art and very capable of doing it. Some are more polished than others, but particularly in the Black church, like we've learned the art of that kind of polemic, that type of preaching, and it'll be really, really, really talented and skill set, and then nothing in it of of substance, yes. right? Like yeah. zero substance. And I always was like, man, if I can take those two worlds and mix them together, to me, that would be, I mean, it's kind of what John Knox was. Like, that, <laughs> and that's this, right. you know, he had, like, people don't even know how intelligent he was, but he was also a great yeah. orator, too. Well, Tom, and that's what, like, Thomas Aquinas in his day was, he was famous as a preacher. He wasn't, you know, so he would travel around and, Everywhere he would preach, everyone in tears, you know, he uh, that and be moved and converted. And you know, he was a very gifted preacher. And then he also was like the great mind of his time. So uh, we tend to set those things apart, um, you know, the and think that if somebody is moved, it's because, uh, in spite of the preaching they were moved right right, right. <laughs> um rather than the preaching being an art form 
that God said, this is the art form through which I want to recreate the world. The preaching of the word, the uh, world made of words will be rebuilt of, with words. Mm. Um, and, uh, but, you know, when the world was being created and God said, you know, and Jesus said, let there be light or God said, let there be light. And that those words are Jesus. The light is Christ and he's the bringing the light into the world. And do we imagine they were boring? Mm. <laughs> if you heard them, would you be moved? Mm-hmm. Um, of course you would. Right. So, it's not it, it it's the right thing to do to work on the craft of preaching if you're a preacher to move people with your sermons um because it's the art form the holy spirit has chosen to use to recreate the world and so we want to be best as we as good as we can at our craft um or preachers ought to want to be as good as they can at their craft so that they can bless people serve people and I think because we have we don't have a cosmos in which beauty and truth hold together, we feel guilty trying to get good at preaching. Mm-hmm. Pa- mm-hmm. Pastors feel like they're 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 um, that they are being you know they're because because it can be used for manipulation. Yeah, that's right. We think we ought not to touch it rather than, well, what's the right use of this? Yeah, I mean, I always think about it like, you know, it's not that you can't carry the ark. It's, are you doing it the way in which God told you to do it? <laughs> right, right. Like, yeah. Yeah, you can carry it, you can move it, but there's a way to do it. Yeah. He's giving you instructions on how to move the ark. Now, you try and reach That's out, true. And, you know, and touch it the wrong way, you, yeah, you're going to get burnt. You should be, you should die, right? <laughs> but if you're doing it the way he's told you to do it, there's a way to do it, and he, he's giving you a tools and wisdom on how to do that yeah and there's um but my but most presbyterians just lecture instead of preach that's, that's right different art there's different art forms but yeah I, i'm yeah I, we need to get i think that's why people really like paul washer like it's it's part of it is the art form of what he's doing right it's um uh when i was charismatic there's only two people that really resonated with me that came into my world, which was Paul Washer and John Piper because of the style of preaching that they had. I'm like, well, I can go to churches like this. When you, when you come from a charismatic church and you know, your preacher, your preacher has to have a sweat rag (laughs) and some water because he going to give it to you. And then you leave from that to a lecture. That's real hard. Yeah, <laughs> that's you get whip. You get whiplash. Oh my goodness! Theological whiplash. Yeah, I mean, and you like <laughs> well, whiplash. Yeah, surgical, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like well, that was a good lecture. Praise God. I guess I'm gonna go have to listen to that. You know, but there's sometimes like I, I mean, I miss the kind of preaching where I'm gonna tell you. Toby's done this to me. It's been Toby's done a good job of this. I think in trying to balance those two. But I miss the kind of preaching where even in the charismatic church, the preacher would have you almost in tears before the sermon is over and you on your knees crying out to God. You know, I miss that kind of stuff where your whole soul is shaking and you're like, look, I ain't got time for him to finish before I'm out here face down on the floor asking God to forgive me or (laughs) sanctify me or fill me with, you know, I I miss that kind of preaching that stirs the soul. And um, some of it was thin, but me and my wife thought, man, by the time we came over to the, 
the more reformed side, that kind of preaching, we wouldn't be able to get up off the floor at, at any given Sunday. You know, there's no way we got all the word of God and we got all this catechism. We got all this confession and all this theology. But we're going to be on the floor every Sunday. And we walked in the church. It was like, these people are dead. They, <laughs> these, what's wrong with y'all, man? You got all this theology and no life, you know? <laughs> it was anyway. But I think that's that's part of it is, is the craft. Like there is some of that was missing from, from the reform world. I think, you know. Hopefully, um, I've, I've you know I've, I've been out in Northwest. I've found a lot more of those two things trying to live together. You know, they're not yeah. afraid of each other out here, and I appreciate that. You know, so yeah, you have to. It's it, it, the the Northwest is. You know, I I remember when they people started talking about social distancing, and I was like, wait. That's just called normal life in the Northwest, right? Like, stay six feet apart. It's like, why would you want to be any closer than that? <laughs> but the uh, so there, there is, um, there are habits that I think come from the Oregon Trail, um, that uh, kind of exist out here. Um, but I mean, the the one of the things that i appreciate about um kind of the masculinity up here is you're much more likely um you know amongst the christian men up here in the northwest to to have uh men that are comfortable with their emotions express their love and care for one another and um then uh then in any of the, then, you know, maybe some of the places where you've have the tradition of kind of that faux, faux masculinity with that, where emotions aren't a part of it. Um, you don't have that so much out here in the West coast. Really? I thought, I don't know. Eh, I might have to think about that one. <laughs> well, I guess you're in Idaho, right? I'm not in so, Idaho. Yeah. Idaho's got it. <laughs> I've seen a lot more of that. All right, so what's the poem for next time? Or are we doing Dante? Because I can do. I think. Uh, well, let's uh, let's do a little bit of Gerard Manley Hopkins next time. Gerard Manley we'll, Hopkins. Gerard Manley Hopkins. We'll do some some uh, uh, poetry that's some explicitly Christian poetry rather than something from a non-Christian. What does it look like for a Christian to try and um, rejoice? in the world that God has made. What's the title of the poem? Um, well, there, let's do, we'll do one that's just called spring and spring. one that's called as King, as King Fisher's catch fire. We'll do both of those next time. Yeah. We'll do both of those next time. Cause they're both shorter sonnet length spring. And as what catch fire as King Fisher's catch fire. It's kind <laughs> of bird King Fisher's. Okay. All right. Now, you know what's weird about this? <laughs> the hope, this is really a weird connection, but the whole point that we're doing this is to go back and deal with all of our issues that we've been dealing with for a long, long time in with Knox Unplugged. Like, this is re-anchoring us to deal with the social justice stuff, to deal with our Gnosticism to deal with Christian humanism, to deal with all these things. And right. it just seems so odd 
that we would be using poetry to connect poetry to all the conversations that we've been having. Because I think a lot of, I don't, and again, I don't do this for anybody else, but for me. So I'm sorry, whoever else listens to this, I'm just going to tell you, this is the most selfish show that exists in podcast world (laughs) ever. I don't care if people tune out because this is just for me, but this is the part of it is just really building us up so that we can deal with these other issues really, 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 really well. So sometimes we do history lessons to deal with some of these conversations, but part of it, is saying all this stuff, Gnosticism, social justice, critical theory, um, what's some of the other things we deal with, Jason? Uh, metaphysics, you know. Metaphysics, <clears throat> cosmology. Cosmology. Uh, I'm thinking of of uh, Christian nationalism. All this stuff yep. is is our inability to really be poetic beings, right? Like that's, that's the kind of thing that we're missing. And that's the antidote that we need to be able to deal with this. You know, I'll say this and then we can go, but if we, we need to be the kind of men that know how to get up and speak in a way that moves people's hearts to follow, to chase after what's beautiful, to commit to their families in such a way that, um, they're, that they're not, you know, and enjoying. I'm going to tell you something that's since we've been doing this, Jason, family worship at my house has been on point. And it's not because I'm like trying to work really hard to do it. I can't wait to do it. I can't wait to do it. And I'm finding the time to do it. I'm finding 15 minutes here, 13 minutes there. I found something else I can't wait to bring to the family with this poet. Let's talk about this. Let's work through this. And then all the other things come in and, um, working through the confession and I mean, talk about a lovely piece of literature. I mean, the Westminster confession of faith, the the larger catechism and understanding the way that they were educated and how they think about God's law from working through the scriptures, man, the way they break down the first commandment and what's forbidden in the first commandment and what's, um, what's required in the first commandment. Those two things you start saying, Whoa, I've never even thought like this before. I mean, that's a poetic form of literature that you have to work through. It's like, well, this is all scripture. <laughs> I've never, I've yeah. never, anyway. So anyway, I, I know. I think I, it's, I, it's I, the difference between being on offense and being on offense. Yes, that's exactly right. right. But it doesn't feel like no one, right now, if you stood up and said, you know what, the way we're going to take over the world is through poetry. Everybody look and be like, nah, I'm going to go write a book on critical theory and Christian nationalism. Right, right. That's what I'm going to do. There's probably, more, there's probably more money in it. Right. I, I don't, I don't get my poetry published for the money in it, (laughs) but, but that's, but that's, that's what the left has, has done. They've, they're, they're at least practicing at it, you know, exercising. Yeah. But, but we're always living in response, right? So what's the next big book? Well, it's going to be the one that answers whatever the next, the move the left made. Right. That's, we're always living in response and, just refusing and saying, no, we don't live in response anymore. We're building. Mm. We've got stuff to build. Mm. Um, I, I, I don't have time to live in response to anyone because the world is, the world's going to be living in response to me soon. So right. um, we, we were talking about this. Um, Christopher Watkin wrote a book. This is talking about living in response to something. Biblical critical theory. Forward yeah, you, yeah, by said, Tim Keller. That's what, that's, that's it. We're just, yeah, we're just biblical what, critical theory. Why not? Yeah. Right. 
<laughs> and I, I haven't read the book, so I don't even know what it's about, but you sent me the cover. <laughs> Here's what it's about. And I was like, I mean, Ugh. you can't see it on my phone, but I mean, it's just, and then how the Bible unfolding story makes sense of modern life and culture. Just, I, I don't know what he's going to say, but I don't even, I, it's like, I'm not, yeah. I'm, I'm want to find something else is not in response. How really, you know, and it, it's really, right. it's, there, when you go back, especially like Doug's early stuff, Doug's been doing this for years. But he's got federal husband, federal, um, uh, you know, reforming marriage. He's got all these things that are so foundational to the family. I mean, he's been doing this for years. And some of it's just now being seen. Now talk about like being forward thinking. Everybody now is jumping right. on the bandwagon of masculinity. And he's, he's had future men out for years. He's got conferences going back for 30 yeah, years. Right. And it's like that's. That was that was advancing before it was cool, and now people are just now starting to say, "Well, what's a good book on manhood?" Well, you know, really? I mean, I'm glad right. you're going there. I'm glad but, you're going there, but mm. all right. Well, that, but I think that's the that's that's because he studied classics and poetry, and um, and so he was able to see he he was able to see what does it look like to build and not just in response you know, not just build walls to keep people out, but build worth defending. And I think that's what, that's what we, I, I think that's the mode we need to get into. Right. I, I don't, I think it's, it is inevitable that we are going to be pushed to the back of the bus as Christians that we're not going to, and, and um, there'll be, there'll be places where, like it, you know, I think Moscow is probably not going to happen as much as you know some place like L.A. or someplace. But our job is wherever God puts us to say, okay, well, here is the ground that we will garden. If it is the back of the cultural bus, then let's garden it, and then start throwing garden parties, uh, and uh, and watch it watch as the the bus flips around and the back becomes the front again because that's the way it's always worked historically is um we, the the uh, faithful christians haven't forced their way to the front and then insisted on driving faithful christians have made whatever it is that god has given them they've taken good care of it and then the world came and said wow that's working well how are you doing that and you say well let us show you right and mm. um the we we uh we long i think we long too much for the driver's seat um uh, and and don't take care of our own business don't take care of our own plot of land because we want the throne um and i think we got to just say look what i got let's make this amazing mm. that's it man That's good stuff.